Well, good morning. My name is Brian Jones. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church of the Valley. So glad you're here. I want to welcome everyone joining uh, that are, that's a part of our church family, both near and far. And we want to welcome those of you who have just connected with us online just this moment. We're glad you're here. Let's jump into it. Last year, Lisa and I went to visit our parents who both live in the Columbus, Ohio area. And one morning I woke up and I said, let's go for a walk. And down the road from where I grew up was a country club or is a country club. And it's a nice country club. Uh, We didn't belong to it. But as a kid, I always snuck onto the country club with my golf clubs and played and fish. And I, I just loved that area. And I said, why don't we go through the country club? Let's walk the whole golf course. It's beautiful. You'll love it. So we did that. It was about 6.30 in the morning, and we started out in the back nine. And the only people that we ran into were greens keepers that were going to each particular green, and they were looking at us, and we would just wave. And as we turned to the front nine, we noticed near the country club that lining up had to be at least 50, 60 golfers with their carts ready to go. Now, As I mentioned, this is a posh country club, beautiful stately building. Off to the left is the pool, and then there's tennis courts. Beyond that is the putting green. Uh, To the side of that is a small chip and putt warm-up course. And it's just everything that you would think of when you think of a stately country club. So as we're walking and we're coming closer to the golfers, Lisa was like, what are we going to say? And I said, Let's just act like we own the place. And so as we're walking up to the country club, we just start waving and saying hello to golfers and hi. And, and you know, the people that are queuing people up to golf and we're walking. And as we're getting closer, we realize there's probably a couple hundred people all out here moving and mingling. And we're sweating. We're in workout clothes. We don't belong to the country club. And as we go through the crowd, greeting everybody, waving, smiling, pointing, good morning, good luck, it's going to be great. We get to the other side and just about fall over, start laughing. It was just the funniest thing. Just, we just started laughing hysterically that they just, nobody said anything. We just walked straight through this country club. And then I leaned over to Lisa and said, what do you think it would have been like if we were two black teenagers? So the thing about clubs is that in order for something to be a club, two things have to be true. Number one, it has to be exclusive, right? You can't join a club if it's not exclusive. Otherwise, it would just be a mall. Sort of like the Carnegie Club in Dornich, Scotland, founded by Andrew Carnegie at the time, one of the wealthiest people on the planet. It's on this stately, beautiful greens. It is uh, next to Skibo Castle, surrounded by this swooning, beautiful Scottish heather moor. And if you spend the insane amount of money to join this club, you can enjoy falconry, riding horses, going through lush valleys, shooting clay pigeons, or playing around a golf on one of the most prestigious courses in the world. And so you join a club because, honestly, who doesn't need to improve their falconry skills? Now, that's the first mark, exclusivity. But the second mark of a club is rules. If you're going to have a club, you have to determine who gets in and who gets kicked out. And what do you have to do to stay in? What are the rules that you have to obey? 
Even kids know this. One time when our kids were small, I went down to the basement and uh, we had an unfinished basement and over in the corner was sort of like this play castle. You know, when, when your kids are small, you, they, they have these plastic, the big things that you put together. And there was a play castle there. And I had noticed that my oldest daughter, always a natural leader, had taken a piece of paper and wrote at the top of it, it said, rules. And I picked this up and I showed this to Lisa. I said, she made rules for her club. And let me just read the rules that my daughter uh, wrote for the club. It, it starts this. Number one, no pushing, no yelling. That's good. No fighting, no arguing. I, I didn't edit it at all. This is exactly how it was written. No tattletaling. No hiding bad papers. That's because my daughter went through a phase. If she didn't get an A, she wouldn't bring it home. She would just hide the paper. Uh, Number seven, no burping, because you can't have a club if people are burping in the club. Uh, Number eight, no stink bombs. That's absolutely essential. Number nine, no hitting. And number 10, do your best. Those are great rules. Now, if it's true that there are things you have to do to get into a club, and there are things that you have to do to stay in that club, then by that definition, Judaism in the time of Jesus and during the time of the early church was one of the biggest clubs of all time. To join this club, you had to, as an adult male in the Mediterranean world, get circumcised as an adult. You had to actually physically go through circumcision as a 35-year-old man. And so no wonder when we read through uh, the book of Acts, so many people wanted to be Jewish, but they didn't want to go all the way through. They, were with, they, they called them God-fearers, people that were not Jewish, but hung around the synagogue, and they were sort of like, nah, bro, I'm good. I'm going to draw the line at circumcision. But then they had to do things to stay in. You had to get circumcised to get in, but you had to do certain things to stay in. You had to eat certain foods. You had to observe certain holy days. You had to observe the Sabbath. And so the end result is this was really stringent. There was no other religion at the time in the Mediterranean world that was so stringent on what you could and could not eat, who you could associate with, how you spent your time, how you spent your money, how you cleaned your dishes, on and on and on. And so if you did this, I mean, there was a certain amount of pride. It took a tremendous amount of work to make that happen. The problem is, Jesus comes along, and Jesus placed zero value on appearances and words and making impressions. Like, none. He didn't care about externals at all. That's why repentant prostitutes and repentant thieves and repentant terrorists could join his disciple band, and they would be accepted and loved. But the religious leaders of the day, many, were ostracized by Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said about people who focused on externals, but not on the heart. It says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I've been reflecting on that a lot. I don't want that to be true about me. That just because I do religious stuff, because I am a religious person, by my behavior, by my actions, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, who I associate with, all of that can be external stuff, but still my heart can be far from God. Is that true for you? Are you a religious acting person, but in your heart, right now you feel far from God? 
So today we're finishing the series we're calling Stop at Nothing. And what we're doing is we're going through the book of Philippians. And today uh, I'm going to finish. And so I'd like to thank Dan Reichel and Frank Chaparino for preaching the last couple weeks. And the book of Philippians essentially is the story about how the Apostle Paul's in prison, probably in Rome. Prisons in that day, you had to provide by and large your own food or you could potentially starve, or you would definitely be malnourished. The church in Philippi, a city in Greece, got wind that Paul was in prison, sent a bunch of money with a man named Epaphrodites, a church uh, leader, sent him to Rome. He showed up and refreshed Paul with food and with resources, and Paul was so incredibly thankful. He grabbed his coworker Timothy, and said, Timothy, I want you to fire off this letter. Now, the part that we're going to read today, actually, many scholars believe that the book of Philippians is two letters, that there was this initial letter that was sent, chapters one and chapter two, and then chapter three, because there's such a, a harsh break, Chapter 3 appears to be another letter uh, that was sent by Paul, possibly at a later time. Scholars, by and large, believe this, but it could, may or may not be true. But the fact of the matter is, the first two chapters were all about unity, hanging together, and then chapter 3, Paul takes the gloves off, and he goes after a group of people that he calls the mutilators of the flesh, So more than likely, this is a second letter that Paul sends out, and I'm going to go ahead and read it together uh, as a church. Now, before I do that, I want to pause and say, if you have not downloaded our church app, we've been working hard behind the scenes to update it. It's going to be released here in a couple weeks. We definitely want to make sure you do that. The way you get our church app is you go to the App Store or Google Play, and you download CCV Mobile, and you'll bring the app, and you go to the corner where it says Bible, and you'll be able to look at the text that we're looking at today. The reason I'm saying this is, as we're moving forward as a church, the app is going to be, the app is going to replace for us, as a church, a lot of the things that we're doing. We're going to talk more about that. It's going to replace offering bowls. The app is going to replace communication cards. The app is going to replace baptism cards. It's going to become the hub for both those of you who are a part of our online campus, as well as for those of you who are a part of our Royersford campus in Philadelphia. So anyway, that's why we want you to do that. So please do that today. Let's jump into our scripture. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write to you the same things again. So it appears it's a second letter. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Powerful, provocative image. Watch out for people who are mutilators of the flesh. What does that mean? Who are these dogs, which is an incredible insult in Paul's time. Who were these dogs? Who were these mutilators of the flesh? These were people who were Jewish who became Christians and became a part of the church of Philippi. Once they became a part of the church, there were two groups of people then. There were people that converted from paganism that had no knowledge whatsoever 
of Judaism and, their, and the practices. And then there were people that came actually from the synagogue. And when you put both of these people together in a small group, someone would get baptized and then they would be out at a cookout together and, and they would be like, wait a minute, you can't eat that. And they're like, what are you talking about? No, 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 you can't eat that. You can't say that. You can't do that. You can't go there. And so it created this conflict. And so these people that were converts that were coming over from Judaism, Paul calls them dogs and mutilators of the flesh. Now, why would he be so strong in his language? Let's continue. Verse three, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Paul immediately takes this imagery of flesh, the cutting of the flesh, which represents circumcision, and he talks about how Christians, true believers, are circumcised in the spirit. There is something spiritual that happens to the heart of person that cleans them from their former life. In the same way, the symbol of physical circumcision will, essentially, it's a cutting off of the identification with people who are pagans. So for Jews, when you think of someone who isn't circumcised, you talk about the uncircumcised Philistines, the people that we are separate from these people. We are cut off from these people. It was a very, very big deal. Now, that said, we have friends here that come to our church, our live campus here in Royersford, and they know exactly what this feels like. It may be a different situation, circumcision or not circumcision, but you know exactly what it feels like, because I'll talk to people all the time that grew up in church, and they say that when I was a kid, we went every single week. We stood up, and then we kneeled down, and then I recited a prayer. That I, I would just, my friends will say, I'll just start talking and just have this prayer memorized. And they'll say, I have no idea what it means. But it's just these religious things that I do. Same thing was going on. Paul was saying, listen, you can get circumcised 30 times over. But it doesn't make you more um, connected to Jesus at all. It's what's going on in your heart. Well, he continues. He said, listen, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh in the way that they do religious things to be cool with God, I have more. Paul said, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, I was so zealous, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, look at what he says, faultless. These people who are in the Philippian church who are telling you that you need to observe all of these kosher food laws and get circumcised and obey the Sabbath, they think they're actually good. Before I became a Christian, Paul says, I was 10 times better than them. I was faultless compared to these people. But what does Paul say about all of those things that he used to do? But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He continues, I consider them, not the dogs or the mutilators of the flesh, 
but the works of the law that I used to do, I consider them garbage. Paul was like, listen, I used to fast two times a week. I used to go to the temple. I used to recite these prayers. I used to give away money. I used to do all of this stuff. But now when I look at my relationship with Christ, that stuff is garbage. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me just pause here and say, theologians have this kind of strange term. It's called imputed righteousness. It's imputed to someone. It's given to someone. And the fact of the matter, what Paul is saying is, listen, Philippians, at your church, there are people that are coming from the synagogue that are trying to make you better by observing stuff. The fact of the matter is, you can't get better by doing religious stuff. Your goodness, being a good person in the eyes of God, has to be imputed into you. It has to be given to you. It has to be placed inside of you and credited to your account because of the death of Jesus. And that is a, both a strange thing and an incredibly empowering thing. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about all the things that you do that make you religious. You read the Bible. You are, are participating in this church service. You give, you probably go, maybe, maybe you've gone on a mission trip, you serve in different capacities. And those are great activities, but they don't make you good. And they definitely don't make you better than someone else. What makes you good is Jesus and what he has given to you as a gift, not anything that you have done or you will ever do. We do these things out of gratitude, not to become better. Let's continue. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him, to know the power of the resurrection and participation in his sufferings. I want to become like Jesus in his death and so somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. So in the original Greek, there are two words for knowledge. I want you to pay attention to this because this is really important to understanding this text. The first one is oida. It means that I know intellectually, conceptually, that something is good. Uh, The other word is gnosko. It means I know it's good from experience. Like uh, our teaching team, way back before this whole pandemic thing happened, uh, we had driven by the Collegeville Bakery, uh, gosh, for years. Live here 20 some years. And uh, I constantly have driven by it. And one day we were like, let's go to the Collegeville Bakery because we've heard that they have the best cheesesteaks in the area. And when we went there, man, the bread, the meat, everything, it was absolutely amazing. And so if you had asked me three years ago, do I know the Collegeville Bakery? I would have said, yes. Oida, I know the Collegeville Bakery intellectually. But if you ask me now, do you know the Collegeville Bakery? I'll tell you, oh yeah, I know the Collegeville Bakery. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's like, listen, I just don't want to know about Christ. I want to know him. I want to talk to him like he's a real 
live person. In fact, for those of you who are watching this right now and you're tuning in for the very first time, like that's the whole point of Christianity, to bring you to the point where you find your way back to God. And so you have this relationship with him where you can talk with him, you can connect with him, and all of the barriers are taken away. And so Paul continues, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. I'm a work in progress. I'm constantly growing, even to this point. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus had taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect in any way, shape, or form, Paul says. But one thing I do, I'm going to forget what's behind. All the good stuff that I've done, all the churches Paul has planted, I'm going to forget those. All the people that I've helped, all the people that we've I'm going to forget all of that. And I'm going to strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then he turns to the leaders in the church in Philippi and he says this, all of us then who are mature, the leaders, you're aware of these dogs, the mutilators of the flesh who are screwing up the church, the mature Christians in the group Listen, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you about this issue of bringing Judaism into the church. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I want to finish by by giving you a perfect example that those of us who are mature in the church, we need to be mindful of of influences that, that could hurt new converts, how those of us who are mature in the faith, we need to be watching out for the mutilators of the flesh. So uh, there was a kid in our church who was from a really good family, but he had some major drug problems. He told me one time he wanted to meet me for lunch. We went to eat Chinese, and I just told him about Jesus. I told him about the dream that Jesus had for his life and the plans and what God could do for him. And dude, it it was like a stone wall. I didn't think I got through it all. And so I didn't think I'd ever hear from him again after that. But about a couple months later, he came up to me in church. He was like, I'm in. I did it. And I was like, in the back of my mind, I'm going to be honest. I was like, what, you knocked over a bank? You stole some drugs? He was like, no, I'm in. I'm a Christian. I want to do this. I want you to baptize me. Let's go. And I was shocked. So we baptized him, and I met at that same Chinese restaurant and begin a discipling relationship with him. And one of the most beautiful things I remember about this relationship is in the first couple weeks, he knew nothing. He knew nothing about religious behavior. He knew nothing about the way church people ought to act. He knew nothing about the things that cause Christians to frown on other people. And as we were going through the Bible, I'm going to cuss here. I'm actually not going to cuss, but he cussed. Every time we would go through a passage, he would just say, S, man, S, it's right here. It's right here. Can you effing believe this? It's right here. And I just, as I'm listening to this, obviously he needs to not cuss, but I just saw his heart. His heart was in the right place. And for those of us who are mature in the faith, Paul's talking about here in the Philippian church, you can, you can go to someone that's a new convert and you can crush their heart. They're so excited. They know Jesus. 
And then all of a sudden, church people start gathering around them and start heaping rules on them. And Paul calls people that do that dogs. Don't do that. Don't take someone that has this beautiful start to their faith and extinguish it with a bunch of rules. So the Apostle Paul is saying through this passage two things. Number one, what we need to do is we need to focus on knowing Christ. And number two, we need to protect new Christians from people who don't get this. And so he concludes this whole passage by this, saying, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And that's my charge to all of us who are part of the CCV family too. Stand firm in this way. Let's pray. We thank you so much, Jesus, for what you're doing in our lives. And we thank you so much for the new Christians, like new babies are being born all over the place because of your ministry in the lives of people living the gospel out in our communities. And we pray that as they begin to grow, that we would protect these precious new believers from people that want to turn this beautiful, powerful relationship with you into a system of rules. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.